um, children are back in school, and I was, I, was, I, was, I was thinking for a title of this message today, uh, I wanted to convey the essence of liberation and freedom. And one of the greatest ways that I can think of that is the feeling that you get after the last day of high school. Uh, some of us, that was a long time ago. Some of us, it wasn't uh, a long time ago. And maybe, no matter where you're at, you can remember that feeling. Um, my title of, of what I hope God communicates tonight is that school is out for the summer, uh, even though it's in right now, but spiritually, school is out, and it's time to enjoy freedom in Christ. Let's stand, Romans chapter five, uh, 6, starting in verse 15, Romans chapter 6, verse 15, Word of God says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you have been delivered and having been set free some from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. May God bless the reading of His Word. Be seated in the house of God. I know this is what some of you have been thinking because Apostle Paul has asked the question several times as we talk about grace. And people even come up and ask me, why do you talk about grace all the time? If you keep talking about grace, people are going to think they can go and sin. People are going to go think they can do whatever they want. They're going to think they can live however they want to. And, and Apostle Paul is such a great communicator in the book of Romans that he is, he is uh, 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 preeminently knowing the questions that they're going to ask. And they're asked questions. Well, well, Paul, if our works don't matter, if our works don't get us into heaven, then we can do what we want. And there have been groups in history that have done that in the early New Testament, uh, uh, early New Testament period of Christianity. There was a group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics believe as long as I knew Christ in my mind, it didn't matter what I did with my body. And they did whatever they wanted with their body. And there's some forms of Gnosticism in America today. Um, but is that what grace means? And so he asked this question. If you've been with, with us, we've, for chapter 5, uh, uh, chapter 6, talked about, man, we're, we're liberated from the law. And he says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law? First thing we need to realize from the text is he says we're not under law. Amen. We just read it in the uh, previous scripture, verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but grace. Now, some people take that and they say, I'm not under law, I can do whatever I want. Let me tell you, you can drink Mountain Dew all day long under grace. Doesn't mean it's beneficial. All right? Everybody get mad, preacher started talking about Mountain Dew. <laughs> I can drink a Red Bull every day. Praise God, I don't. Amen? Amen. I haven't had one in four weeks. My friends will be proud of me. Okay? <laughs> Things may be permissible, but it doesn't mean they're beneficial. It doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. 
I don't think anyone has ever said, now that you're a Christian, go out and commit adultery. Enjoy your liberty. I don't think anything has said, now that you're a Christian, go get stoned and smoke up. Now that you're a Christian, go murder someone and enjoy grace. That's not how you enjoy grace. We don't enjoy grace by sinning. So that is the wrong context to believe that, okay, I'm under grace, I can do whatever I want. No! Someone even asked that question in the question and answer uh, uh, series we did on Sunday morning. They said, how does God feel when you keep on sinning? Same way he always feels. He still forgives, but sanctification pushes us to holiness. We're supposed to be following Jesus and walking with him. Amen? I forgot my water. But the thing is, we put a law, we put a lot of laws into our Christianity and into our religion that really aren't there. So when we say when you when you are a Christian, you need to, you know, make sure you follow the law, a lot of times we don't know what we're talking about. For example, we say you shouldn't work on Sunday, yet we go to eat at places that cause people to work on Sunday. Anybody think that's hypocritical? I love Grandma's Country Kitchen on Sunday. Amen? I love me so eating some sushi on Sunday. Amen? And we're going to judge people if they don't show up in the house of God because they're at work. Well, you need to get a different job, right? But we'll go allow people to work and actually force them to work because it's all the church people going Sunday at dinner time. Lost people are enjoying uh, uh, football on their couch. Church people's out eating, eating at the restaurants. Maybe the waitress was, wouldn't have to work on Sunday if all the church people didn't make them. We ever think of it that way? You go, to, you go to Logan's or Longhorn, and it's going to be everybody in ties. But yet we say, well, you should worship on the Sabbath. In reality, if we're going to be honest, the Sabbath is actually a law that's done away with. Did you know that? Because if we were to keep the law on the Sabbath then we would be Seventh-day Adventist and we would have to worship on, Sunday, on Saturday. The reason we worship on Sunday anyway is because we're not under law. We are under grace and grace causes us to worship. You see, the law said that you worship God one day a week. Grace says every day's your worship. Grace always has a higher aim than law. Grace always raises the bar than law. Paul's saying, look, if you think grace gives you incentive to sin, you haven't seen grace because grace is liberating. Grace is radical and and unlimited when it comes upon you. When I look in the New Testament and I find grace being shown, it turns into radical worship, not radical sin. But when the law is being shown, it turns into radical legalism. Think about the prodigal son. Here he comes home. Prodigal son comes home, and the older brother's standing there, the good brother, the religious brother. And he sees everything that the wasteful brother gets. And what does the the older brother get? Instead of getting worshipful over the grace of the father, he gets religious. Well, you never gave that to me. 
Instead of operating in grace, he operates in legalism. And let me tell you, there's church people today that walk straight in legalism. Because they're judging themselves on how good they look instead of how good God looks. Not a single one of us deserve to be here tonight. Every single one of us should have been on our way to hell. And we were until God intervened. We're all here by grace. And see, grace is a little dangerous. Grace makes people liberated, but it also can make people weird. (laughs) And I like weird Christians. Because they don't fit the mold. Grace changes you. It's infectious. It causes you to love other people instead of judge other people. When grace has been shown to you, you show grace to others. But until you think, uh, as long as you think you deserve what God's given you, you're going to treat other people what they deserve. Some people think, well, I'm good enough. I deserve what I get. And therefore, when someone harms you, you're going to give them what they deserve. And you're going to operate in legalism. Everything about the way you interact with your other human beings, whether it be your spouse, whether it be your coworkers, whether it be your children, is about your understanding of how God has already operated to you. Yes, sir. God has already dispensed his grace upon you. And therefore, once you see that, you enjoy it. And then you can dispense it to others. Brother EJ is nice to me, praise the Lord, so I'm going to be nice to somebody tonight because grace was shown to me. So, we got to understand that not being under the law doesn't mean we sin. And he says his famous term, by no means, I've said that, meganoito, that's the strongest contradiction in the Greek language. Meganoito! When your opposing team scores, on Sunday, just stand up in your living room and say, Meganoito! <laughs> You'll remember it. Somebody's going to do it, and they're going to text me. Pastor Meganoito. Rebuke! Look at verse 16. Ask this question. Have we offered our lives in worship? He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? Have we offered our lives? When we get out from under the law, we get under worship. We don't get in another realm. There's two realms, my friends. There's the realm of law and the realm of law. Of worship. You cannot live in the realm of law and have authentic worship. Because in law, it's duty. That's not worship. That's why the Pharisees could keep the whole law and still be wicked. So once we come out from under that realm, we come from law to worship. And some people think I'm in this in-between mode. I'm not under law. I'm not in worship. God save me. I'm going to do whatever I want. Bless God. There's no in-between. Pastor Matt told me something today. He said, worship is not something we do on Sunday. It's what we do every day. Worship means we have offered ourselves to Jesus Christ and his plan for our life, not our own plan, because sin is the opposite of worship. Therefore, when we're not in the worship realm, we're back under law in the sin realm because sin is the constant belief that I have to operate on God's terms based upon rules. 
And as long as everything about your relationship is based upon rules, you're going to constantly fail, and your failures are just going to lead you to sin. That is a vicious cycle. If you tell your child, you're dumb, you're dumb, you're dumb, your child's going to think they're dumb. And under the law, we constantly see failure, constantly see fault, constantly see our depravity. Guess what? You'll stay there until you realize Jesus has taken it away and you're under worship. Sin is not just confined to the law. Matter of fact, sin goes above and beyond the law. The law said an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but Jesus said turn the other cheek. A lot of us think we can keep the law and not be sinners. No, my friend. Because Jesus, Jesus, what Jesus did was he didn't just show the Pharisees the law. He brought a whole new level to what they thought righteousness was. He said, y'all think you're being good? Let me show you what goodness looks like. While the law was judging people on the Sabbath, Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath. While the law was trying to keep themselves clean, Jesus was making clean. The spirit of the law actually kept them from worship. While the law was ready to stone people, Jesus was ready to forgive people. I guess the law and the licentious have getting stoned in common. (laughs) You'll get that tomorrow by slow freight. While the law was ready for Paul to kill the infidels who thought they were not following God, Jesus was right there saving Paul. You see, we have this concept that the ones who are on fire for God are the ones who look really spiritual. We think they're the law keepers. We think they're the pretty, the put together, you know. Oh, they've got it figured out. Normally they don't. That's why I like the weird people, because the weird people are going to let you know what they're like. You don't have to guess about them. But can I tell you something that the Pharisees looked spiritual back then? Can I tell you that Apostle Paul looked spiritual? Can I tell you the ones who thought they were most on fire for God were the ones who were most religiously keeping the law, but their hearts were far from Jesus? And a lot of times there's some religious keepers whose hearts are disconnected from Christ because they want to look good in front of men, but they care nothing about how God sees them. When the crowd was shouting, crucify him, they thought they were being spiritual. But they were not even listening to the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law says, worship God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Turn with me to Matthew 19. While you're turning there, let me tell you, some new people need to get plugged in the choir tonight because we're getting ready for a homecoming. Going to get our worship on, amen? Matthew 19, 16. You get there, say word. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things do I need to do to have an eternal life? Do you see a problem already? What good things do I need to do to get into heaven? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. 
Now, Jesus was not negating himself as God. He was saying, the reason you think you call me good is because you think I look spiritual, but actually that's not the reason I'm good at all. It's because I am divine, is what Jesus was saying. So he said, verse 17, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he says to Jesus, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear fault witness, you honor your mother and father and love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to this religious, self-boasting young man. He says, all these things I've kept from my youth. Well, that may have been true, except you broke one right then because you didn't bear false witness. <laughs> you may have thought you've kept the commandments, but right there you say, I've kept all these, Jesus. You liar. Lying in church. Right there in front of Jesus. I've kept all these, Jesus. Oh, really, young man? So Jesus says, verse 21, if you want to be perfect... Go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, when I was a young person, I used to read this and says, in order to get to heaven, i got to sell everything and be homeless. I really thought this. Literally. I didn't know if I could get married, because I'm like, who's going to live with me homeless? I mean, <laughs> I'm serious. I was legalistic. But look at the context. I don't think Jesus is telling us to be homeless because if we sold everything, how would, we, how would our children have clothes? I would invite you over to my house and we would sit on the floor and not have food together. That would be difficult. What was Jesus doing? He was showing a man who thought he was perfect and giving him an extra law. You kept them all? Let me give you one more, buddy. Keep this one. It says he walked away sad because he was rich. And in reality, his idol was his own riches. So he was guilty of idolatry. Jesus says, you think you kept the law. Let me give you one more. It's not about law keeping. It's about law breaking. You broke it, but he kept it for you. See, the gospel is not how good you can keep the law. It's how good Jesus kept the law on your behalf. And when you break it every day, Jesus is still the advocate. So why do we get bound up in a lifestyle of sin? Because we think our goodness rests on works, just like this good man. What good thing do I have to do? We think our goodness rests on works, and it's always self-defeating because when it's works-based, you'll never do enough. You'll never pray enough. You'll never read your Bible enough. If you read your Bible for 10 minutes, which would be more than most Christians in America, you're going to say, I need to read it for 30 minutes. Let me tell you, if you read it for five minutes tomorrow, I believe God can sanctify five minutes. But as long as it's law-based, you're never going to be good enough. But the more you meditate on Jesus, the more you're going to exude his character. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 says, if the ministry that brought death, which was the law, Paul says, that ministry brought death. Law-keeping brought death, not life. If that ministry brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, if it came with glory, and there's glory in the law. The law is good and perfect if used lawfully, which Apostle Paul said, which shows us our sin. There's glory in the law. It shows us how perfect God is. He said when it was given to Moses and this came with glory, even though that glory was transitory, mean fading away. So the law came, but that glory faded away. Why did Moses put a veil on his face? We a lot of times think it was because his face was so bright. No, it was because his face was fading. 
and he didn't want the people to know the glory was fading away. It says right here in the scripture. Transitory though it was, meaning fading away, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more is the ministry that brings righteousness? He says, listen, law-keeping brought death. Christ brings life. Which realm are we going to walk in? We're going to walk in the realm of law, which brings death, or the realm of life, which brings worship, which is why worship is not about law-keeping. It's about Jesus-keeping, and he's good all the time. And if I'm plugged into him, I'm going to be doing all right. Point number three, the schoolmaster is done. Freedom is here. Verse 17 in our original text. Turn back to Romans if you want to, or I'll just read it. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Your allegiance has been raptured by Christ. Let me tell you something I, I don't interpret wrongly. I believe in two raptures. <laughs> the first is when Jesus has already taken you. Somebody needs to testify today. Jesus has already caught you. He has already bought you. He has already wrapped you. He's already grabbed you. And we're waiting for the second rapture. But let me tell you, there's a first rapture called salvation where Jesus gets a hold of you. We've got a lot of people looking for the second coming, but they hadn't really got plugged into the first coming. That's a good word right there. Tweet that. You used to be slaves of sin. You're not slaves of sin no longer. Do you remember the feeling on the last day of high school? You'd get off the bus. You'd, you'd get off from your driving your car home, and you'd just take your book back filled with all them heavy books. My goodness gracious, like 75 pounds to teach teenagers. No wonder kids hate school. They got scoliosis. <laughs> Math book costs $400. Information age. They print $400 worth of paper. You take all that stuff, man, you get home, no more SAT prep, no more homeroom, no more Algebra 1, no more Western history, no more teachers breathing down your neck. Why do kids get in trouble at school all the time? Because it's like prison. Really, have you been to one lately? There's no freedom there. Regiment every day, regiment every day. And you get away from that. You're like, summer break. And you... You throw your, your book bag into the closet because you ain't going to need it no more. You just, maybe you throw it in the woods on your senior and you come home and go, <laughs> You're on a track team. You just shot put that thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, freedom! Now, once that happened, once you got out of school, did you forget how to speak English? Did you forget how to write your name? Did you forget how to count? Did you forget how to add? Some people did. <laughs> no, but even though, <laughs> even though there was a glory while you learned those things, there's a greater glory in the freedom that came once you can apply those things. All right, listen to me. In school, I love school. In school, there was a glory of learning. Amen? Amen? 
I mean, praise God. We had access to education. Down in Haiti, they don't. Pastor Enoch walked five miles as a five-year-old to school. Now, we, you know, old people say I walked five miles both the way in the snow uphill when I was a kid. Enoch took me to his village. I drove from his house to the village where the school was, literally five miles as a five-year-old kid. Imagine me telling my daughter Bella to walk five miles to school. That's what Enoch did. We have school. There was a glory of learning it. But that glory fades away compared to who you are now as an adult. And, and here's the thing with the law is that the law was the schoolmaster that brings you to Christ, but praise God, you graduated. Praise God, there's a commencement service. The bus don't have to come to your house no more. The bus picked me up at 6.15 when I lived in Midland. That should not be right. It should be illegal. I walked to the bus stop in the pitch black. I don't want to see that bus no more. First one I get picked up, last one to get dropped off. But now, once that glory passed away, I was under a different context. And that context was now the context of freedom. Okay, my friend, here's what I'm trying to tell you today. The law brought you to Christ, but you have graduated into worship. You've graduated into something more glorious. The law offered the lamb, but worship offers the heart. Amen. The law says take 10%, but worship says take all of me. Last point, summer never ends. Let me tell you, school's out for the summer. Summer never ends. You're in the summer of liberty under Jesus, the summer that motivates us to, man, just go out and go fishing or, or go out and ride your bike. Whatever you want to do, whatever. Whatever you want to do. That's what you can do in Jesus Christ. Whatever allows you to enjoy properly your liberty in Jesus. That doesn't mean you go out and sin. It means you go out and worship. Man, you've been delivered. You enjoy that freedom in Christ. Once we see that our nature is rooted in Christ, we're no longer who we once were, and we can't keep ourselves from being righteous. Look at verse 18 in uh, Romans chapter 6. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Do you know what a slave does? Everything that its master says. He didn't say you become a friend of righteousness. He didn't even say you become an acquaintance of righteousness. He says you're a slave of righteousness. Therefore, whatever righteousness says, that's what you do. You can't keep yourself from being righteous. Preacher, what do you mean? I, I try to be righteous every day. Don't worry. No, let me tell you, my friend, you are already righteous in Jesus. If you'll just understand it, you'll walk that way. But see, a lot of preachers are telling people how to get righteous. What I'm trying to tell you, what Scripture says, you already are. You're a slave to it. You can't not be righteous under Jesus Christ. So walk that way, talk that way, love that way, live that way. Does this help anybody today? You're now a slave to righteousness. It means righteousness controls you. It means the new nature controls you. You're L-U-I, living under the influence. I was up at the hospital visiting today, just bebopping along. Jesus. This guy's like, you okay? 
I'm blessed, brother. I am blessed. They're going to pull me over for LUI, living under the influence. Righteousness is guiding my train. I ain't even driving this thing. God ain't my co-pilot because I'm not. I'm in the back. I'm in the back. He's in control. Take it away. You see, the slave master is not going to let you get out there and serve another idol. When you're a slave and you're under a master, you do what that master says. Now, if you started going plowing this other man's field or something, the slave master is not going to allow that. Righteousness is determining your worship. And there's always the spirit in your corner saying, righteous, righteous, righteous. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Rudy. Y'all seen this? How many people literally have seen it? Okay. So this kid, man, he tries out for Notre Dame football for like eight, ten years. I don't remember. Little five-foot Two, 145 pounds, gets cut, goes to a second-string school, plays for that team, comes to Notre Dame, pays the tuition. Finally, he makes the team as a walk-on, and he's kind of like a practice guy, and they beat him up and smash him. True story. Last game of his senior year. Team's up. And the crowd starts cheering. One of my favorite scenes ever in the movie. Rudy. Rudy, 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 Rudy. And then like 10, 20,000 people just chanting this. And the coach like, all right, Rudy, you're going in. And you're, you're like so excited, literally. Because you think back to when you were like a little kid, boys club football. And how nervous, and you're like, this is, his, this is his chance, man. And so the whole crowd's like, Rudy, Rudy. And you know what it does? Man, it fires them up. And that first play, or whatever, the last play, bam, sacks the quarterback. Everybody goes crazy. Let me tell you, friend, every day of your life, you're going to wake up. A small, incapable, underweight human being. And there are going to be obstacles where you are not equipped. But there is in your corner an army of witnesses who begin chanting, Righteous, 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 righteous. And let me tell you, Jesus is in your corner. The Holy Spirit's in your corner. And as this army of heavenly hosts proclaims your new nature in Christ, you're going to start believing it, and one day you're going to start walking it. Amen? Amen? If you believe that, stand up. Let's give God some praise today. School's out. We're under another master. Let's go play some football.